Welcome to the Eye of the Swarm podcast, uh, the October version, the October debut of Eye of the Swarm as uh, we first flip the calendar from the first month of the academic year to the second one and things heating up a little bit with our fall sports and it's only going to get a little more interesting here in a couple weeks as the winter sports start to pick up too. Elliot Swear is our engineer in the studio. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver and uh, glad to have everybody along for episode four of Eye of the Swarm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we're back yet again. Like you said, this is a, a year of first for us, so it might as well be the first uh, podcast of October, you know, as we record this on the first day of October officially. So, yeah, we're into the – I guess it, now is it really fall? I mean, are we really well, – I, I was questioning it on Sunday whether it was fall or if we'd moved right into winter for that soccer doubleheader up oh, at NBC goodness. because that was uh, – that was winter-like without the snow. I'll tell you, my, my sight lines, because I did the, the doubleheader course on Sunday between with the men and women against Northland, my sight line there, I mean, you usually when you go into a press box and you have a big glass bay window, you're not really too worried about sight lines, but it rained so hard that day and it was blowing all over the place that I, even with my binoculars, it was nothing but smudge. And I by the time of it, I was open things up, things were getting, you know, so there was some precipitation that was getting blown on me. I mean, it was sort of a... Uh, it was sort of a fly by the seat of your pants level of broadcasting I was doing, but yeah, we had the windows open and all our all the papers and everything that we have on the counter in there were getting wet. But we, you have to be able to see if you're going to yeah, stack exactly. the games properly. You have to be able to tell numbers on uniforms and soccer kits are notorious for having really difficult to read yeah, numbers. Exactly. Fortunately, these two matches really for the most part are pretty good. Yeah, Northland wore wore uh, navy blue with, yeah. with white in both games, which helped a it, ton. It helped a lot. So. It was kind of a miserable day, but hey, let's talk about it. Great way for us to jump into the Eye of the Swarm episode four. Let's talk a little soccer. Sort of a tale of two different matches. Uh, one an absolute blowout and one a spine tingler. Yeah, both games uh, went back and forth. Men played uh, two games last week uh, since we last spoke here on the podcast. Las Vegas Day was 5-1. to one. We'll leave it at that other than the fact that Eric to quote Watson. Forrest Gump, that's all I've got to say about yeah, that. Yeah, fifth goal of the season off an assist from Blake Hansen until 26, the time of that goal against uh, St. Uh, Down in St. Peter, excuse me, against Gustavus. That was one of those games where things got away from the Yellow Jackets a little bit early in that game. And, you know, credit Gustavus, they're, they're a tough team. And that's just another one of those kind of murder row kind of uh, games that uh, Coach Mooney schedules. He's got a couple more coming up this week as well. We'll talk about that in a second here. But, uh, yeah, that game against Northland. First game of a two-game two uh, UMAC doubleheader over at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex on Sunday. I was on the air with both of them, and, uh, boy, that first one. I haven't seen a game like that one in a long time in terms of offensive output. 12-1. Yeah, 12-1 was the final score. Jackets scoring two eight times. Yeah, two hat tricks. Uh, but uh, I will say this. The third goal that James Bruce scored on his uh, hat trick, the third that finally netted him the hat trick, that was a spectacular goal. I wouldn't be surprised if that gets nominated for a play of the year, much less play of the week. Well, it, it, it is obviously up for play of the week. Um, I was disappointed to see that there's not a lot of separation there. So you've got some people talking about, I believe, the play from Bethany Lutheran. Okay. And so that one's causing us a little bit of trouble here in getting Mr. Bruce the play of the week award. Credit to Tyler Birnbaum in the Sports Information Office here, though. He sent it to ESPN saying it should be in your top ten. <laughs> oh, wow. There you go. Well, Cosmo coming through for us there. You know, and I was, I was like, that's that's good. I, I appreciate that. You know, chances – it didn't make it, obviously, right. because yeah. it's football Sunday and right. and all of that. And But, uh, you know, credit to him for saying, you know what, this is that good. Let's get it to ESPN. Well, and, two, you know, you could also make an argument for Blake Perry's second goal, which was – I mean, it was a free kick. But he placed that ball balls perfectly into an upper corner as you can possibly right. put it. And so you could actually make an argument that two of those goals could have been top 10 
level type plays as far as highlights go. But the Jackets score six goals between the two of them, Blake Perry and James Bruce, talking about those two guys. And then additional goals for Danny Kearns, Eric Watson, Blake Doye, Jake Myron, um, Abel Vado, and also Gustavo Barbieri all scoring for the L Jackets in that game. And it was getting to that point where goals were coming so fast. I was having a hard time keeping up uh, as far as the official scoring on the previous goal. Right. I mean, some of the, the, the difference between goals, I think Doye scored his like 30 seconds. Yeah, it didn't take long. After Perry scored one. So, I mean, it was really tough to, to keep up with all that was going on. And inexplicably, James Bruce, I think five or six points in that match. Yeah. No, I, more than eight or nine points with the assist. Yeah, if you, yeah. Not UMAC Player of the Week. Huh, okay. Yeah, that was that happens. But you know who did get Player of the Week this week was Anna Schusman. Yes, she did because she <laughs> scored a pair on Sunday as she well. She did, and that game was actually interesting. Uh, going back and forth between those two teams, the ladies created so many chances to score goals in that game uh, against Northland College. Of course, the, the women winning their conference opener as well. Fifteen seconds left in the second overtime before Anna Schusman finally ends it with her fourth goal of the season. But uh, that was a back and forth rumble kind of. Uh, tussle of tug of war kind of game between the two sides. Yellow Jackets being Northland College, uh, two to one in double overtime. They actually fell behind in the first like 15 minutes of the game, and you thought, well, this is this is going to be interesting the rest of the way. But then, Anna Schusman scored the tying goal just before halftime at 36-23, off an assist from Ivy Grahowski, the former Duluth Denfeld Hunter. So shout out to her on that one, getting the assist. And then it was Schusman herself as we played about 73 minutes of scoreless soccer from there until the last 15 ticks of the second overtime period. Schusman scoring her fourth goal of the season off an assist from Kaylee Johnson, and it was a nice goal. It was a really nice goal. Yeah, it was really well placed and uh, a nice all-around play between those two. And Because uh, I thought at first when that play was about to happen, I didn't think they were going to have time. Right. I thought that uh, Kaylee Johnson was going to try to hold up a little bit, but she went for it. She looked up at the clock, and then she just kept going. And she got to Schusman just inside the box, and she turned and fired it and tucked it into the near side corner. So uh, for Schusman, her fourth goal. And like you said, she's now Offensive Player of the Week for the UMAC for the second time this season, joining the honor that she gained on September 9th. So congratulations to her. Golf teams were busy this week. We'll talk a little bit more about it when Coach Eberhard is here in the next segment. But uh, they were uh, two busy teams in the last week. Boy, were they ever. Uh, you're talking about uh, combined five days worth of golf between the two of them. Uh, the men's team finished 14th at the Twin Cities Classic, which was hosted by Gustavus Adolphus. That was kind of a championship-level kind of field also that was put together by Gustavus, so good job you know, by them putting together a really good competition. Uh, they played uh, Saturday at the Lynx at North Fork Golf Course in Ramsey, Minnesota. Sunday they play at the Elk River Golf Club in Elk River, Minnesota. And Monday they play at the Minnesota Valley Country Club in Bloomington, Minnesota. The Yellow Jackets finishing 14th, as I mentioned, in that event. Gustavus took home the team title. 877 they shot for the three days for the entire tournament they were a plus nine as a group that's incredible <laughs> to be plus nine as a team over three days I yeah mean, and three different one courses day tournament i i, I understand yeah, right, i yeah. get that but over three days that's incredible yeah and they got these jacob peterson and concordia moorhead's gage stromey finished tied for the individual title they both were minus two for they were two under par for the tournament between the two of them ryan peterson led the way for the yellow jackets he was in a a tie for 10th there was about 15 golfers that were tied for 10th in that event. He shot a 223 over the three days. Up next, of course, Thursday, Friday, they get play underway at the UMAG Championships at Pebble Creek Golf Club in Becker, Minnesota. And as for the women, they finished second twice in a row at two different, technically two different events, although it was hosted by Bethany Lutheran. One was called the Viking Invite. That was Friday. And then the BLC Invite was on Saturday. So kind of a nifty way of putting that. Yeah, I, I I was kind of surprised that they didn't just have it be a two-day The event. only thing I can think of is when you, with golf, when you get to spring, 
you have to have a certain number of events competed in in order to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Oh, okay. So you you can get get the conference automatic qualifier now, but when you get to the spring, you have to have a certain number of events. Okay. And I don't know if they were worried about number of events or something like that, so could they decided be. to make it two separate ones. I don't know. It was kind of an the, odd. That's the only thing I could come up with. It, was, it's, it just seems odd. Yeah. You know, because it's the same teams were in both events, but they were technically two different events. They were played at two different spots, uh, locations, I should say. Friday, they play at the Crow River Golf Club in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and Saturday, it was at the Oakdale Golf Club in Buffalo Lake. So I'm guessing that that kind of helps a little bit, kind of make it a two-day, you know, different events, you know, one-day, two one-day tournaments, whatever you want to do it. St. Glasgow, by the way, took home the team title both days. They were at 358 on Friday and 365 on Saturday. The Saints Hannah Johnson was the individual champion on Friday. She shot an 83, while Martin Luther's Allison Lindemann was the individual champion on Saturday. I feel like she's won a couple of the tournaments as well. She's another, you know, threat possibly for the UMAC championships coming right. up as Allison Lindemann from Martin Luther. UWS posted a 386 on Friday and a 374 on Saturday. Elena Tulip finished in a tie for fifth on Friday with a score of 89. <coughs> Maddie Friedman, congratulations to her. Second individually on Saturday, she shot an 86. She also finished eighth on Friday with a 91, while Sarah Walquist was tied for eighth on Saturday with a 92. So it was a little bit it's, – it's hard to keep all that straight, but right. that's where the Yellow Jackets place. And, of course, they will also be at the UMAC Championships Thursday and Friday at Pebble Creek Golf Club in Becker. And the only team that didn't have to worry about the elements was the spike ballers, the volleyballers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's a different kind of thing. They're now 8-10 and 10 on the season, Coach Lynn Diedrich's team. They're 2-0 and in the UMAC. They took two out of three matches last week. Uh, defeated Crown in the UMAC opener for them on Tuesday in St. Bonifacius, and then they downed Martin Luther 3-0 in their second conference match of the season on Saturday and the first match of the UWS Triangle before falling on the nightcap to Bethel in non-conference action 3-1. to one. Versus Crown, the Yellow Jackets winning 25-9, 25-18, 25-12. UWS hitting 3-0-6 for the match. While well, the Storm hit just 0-0-9, so 0-0-9 in their hitting percentage for the match. Cammie Sleda had eight kills. Gina Barch, the freshman, eight kills, 12 assists, eight digs. Megan Holes, 12 assists, 10 digs. Bradley Colligan with 12 digs, and Peyton Sherber with 13 more digs in that match against the Storm. Then against Martin Luther on Saturday, UWS hit 231 for the match, while the Knights hit 111 in a 25-14, 25-20, and 25-22 Yellow Jacket victory. Bradley Colligan, double-double, 13 kills, 15 assists. She also hit 478, so a nice match for her. Not too shabby. Yeah, Cammie Sleda, 11 kills, four, hit 450 for that match. Also not too shabby. No, no. Gina Barch, 18 assists. Megan Holes, 13 assists. And then in the final match of the week for the Yellow Jackets, 3-1 the loss against Bethel. Took the first set that the Yellow Jackets were looking good there, 25-21, but then it was Bethel the rest of the way, 25-17, 25-18, 25-22. Bethel hitting 250 while the Yellow Jackets hit 170 for the match. Cami Sleta and Lexi Oltgen each had 12 kills. Riley Colligan, 11 kills, 11 digs. Megan Holtz put together an incredible line. I haven't seen this one in a long time. 23 assists, 30 digs. Ooh. Peyton Sherber, 11 assists, 20 digs. Gina Barch also had a double-double. She had 14 assists, 11 digs. Next up, they're playing tonight. They're at UW Stout taking on the Blue Devils at Johnson Fieldhouse in Menominee. And then they will be at home on Saturday taking on Minnesota Morris, the uh, preseason conference favorites. Minnesota Morris, the Cougars, coming for senior day over at the Mertz. 3 p.m., the opening fa- or opening serve excuse me, of that contest. I'll be on with the pregame at 2.40. On 91.3 FM. So if you get time, check it out. Should be fun. I'll probably be there. You'll probably be there. I'll probably be there. Yeah, sitting across from me, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yep. Yep. So a little walk around what's going on here in the world of Yellow Jacket Athletics. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back, and 
We'll have a chance to sit down and talk a little bit of golf and a little bit of life and a whole bunch of stuff with Yellow Jacket head golf coach Paul Eberhardt when the Eye of the Swarm podcast continues right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Barker's Island Inn of Superior. The Barker's Waterfront Grill offers breakfast, lunch, and dinner overlooking the harbor. More at BarkersIslandInn.com. Northern Wisconsin's Island Getaway. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm podcast, and along with Matt Johnson, I'm John Garber, and we're joined by Yellow Jacket head golf coach Paul Eberhardt, who apparently kind of a special day for the big guy. Is he uh, happy birthday? How many times around the sun for you? A ripe old 46 today, so. 46 years old. Happy birthday. We won't sing. Yeah, you know. You know. We could. <laughs> I don't know that anybody would want to listen, but we could. Uh, that would be the end of the podcast right there. Probably. So uh, absolutely no listening. But happy birthday to you, Coach. And Thank you. Thanks for taking a little time out of the birthday to jump in with us here and you bet. talk about golf. But before we go into that, there's something I, that came up here in the last week that I do want to touch on with you because I know I've, I've seen you on social media talk about it before, and it was the government in California passing the new legislation that basically says student-athletes can accept money now, accept yeah. gifts, and cannot have their scholarships revoked, cannot have it held against you. And this is kind of uh, an earth-shaking big piece of legislation that has gone through in one state. This could really change the game, couldn't it? For sure. I don't think there's any question. I mean, if you look at it from sort of the um, perspective as to what it does to the NCAA, I think that it really... I mean, it, it sort of ends the whole idea of the amateurism aspect of it. And that piece of it really, from a coaching perspective, is, you know, and someone who's followed NCAA for, you know, 46 years almost probably um, and been a sports fan for my entire life, I think you you throw away a lot of that tradition and um, the things that have made, you know, March Madness and the bowl games and all the things that – because really we're talking about two sports. Um, you're talking about football and you're talking about men's basketball are the only two that generate revenue per se at most places. I would say UConn bat, women's basketball, but there's very few outliers to that. Right. Um, and I think that it's, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because I, I understand the argument on both sides. I mean, I understand the players wanting to get their piece of the pie, but I also see the fact that um, – they in mo- you know at least in basketball aspect they have their own they have their choice they can go pro right out of high school if they choose to um there's nothing that says that they can't so if they want to go make money and that's their be all end all then then go do that don't don't go to college i mean you don't you're no one's forcing you no one's got a gun to your head telling you to go to college now the reason they go to college is because they know it's the best developmental process for them to get to the nba and playing on March Madness and playing for Duke or playing for Kentucky or someone high profile puts them in a better position. So the argument that they should be getting paid, I think, is a little, I mean, again, they're already getting paid. I mean, a lot of them are now with the cost of attendance thing that went in, you know, four or five years ago, they're getting $500 or $1,000 a month, depending on the situation at some places um, for living expenses and for things like that. So you know, aside from the full ride scholarship, um, and again, I hate to say this, but we're talking about probably 150, 200 kids nationwide that we're taught we're going to 
revamp all of college athletics for 150 or 200 kids across the board, you know, because that's the only kids that are going to make money doing this. I mean, there's, you know, maybe a couple kids at Duke men's basketball. There's going to be um, three or four guys for Alabama football. Um, you know, each Power Five conference teams probably got a guy or two that are, would get paid for their likeness. They're not paying anybody else for their likeness. People aren't, you know, businesses aren't just coming out and giving people money. That's not how this works. I mean, if you want, um, and again, I could be persuaded to basically tell that kids should have some rights to their likeness and whatever. But to me, that makes more sense to put that into a fund post-graduation or something similar to that where they, I think it, the other can of worms it opens up is, you know, there's who's going to control it and how does that right. get regulated? Because I think at the, some level you start allowing them to get paid. Well, who's to say that the donor didn't want to pay this rate for this kid to show up and give a speaking engagement? Well, all of a sudden kid, you know, pockets $50,000 for a, you know, or a new car for doing a speaking. Well, Who's going to monitor that? I mean, right. NCAA has trouble enforcing the rules that, that they have ex- that exist already to allow them to now sort of uh, give them more things that they have to try to monitor is is another problem. Now, you know, I mean, short term solution is tell all the California schools that you're out of the NCAA and see what happens, because quickly all those schools will be like, well, wait, wait a minute, we don't want we don't want to be out of the NCAA. Right. You're gone. Sorry, you made a rule. Your state made a law. Tell your legislature to change the law then because you're out of the NCAA. You, we cannot afford – you can't legally pay these kids and have it be a part of the NCAA. And that would – I mean, obviously that would go to the courts and it would be fought out. And it, But I think I think the concept is interesting. I think what's interesting is that you have all the talking heads from, you know, Jay Billis and all these other people that are talking about how all these kids should be getting paid and the NCAA's, you know, taking advantage of these kid, poor, poor minority kids and all I don't see anybody getting just abused out here. I mean, you know, they're they're living in. If you've ever seen the pictures of Kentucky's dorms that they have for basketball, nobody's getting abused. I, pro- I promise you, nobody's getting abused. Right. And, um, you know, and it really, if they want to go make money, they have that option. Less so in pro football, but you know, I'm, I don't know what the Canadian football rules are. But if they wanted to go play Canadian football at the age of 18, I don't know if they can or not. But I don't believe they can. I don't think they can either. But I think you know, at least in men's basketball, if you, you can go to Australia, you can go any, you can go anywhere. You can go play in Germany. Go, I mean, there's no restriction that says you have to go to college. So part of the people I think lose sight and they blame the NCAA, but it's the it's the NBA Players Association that has the rule that you can't be in come in until after your first year. So that's that has nothing to do with the NCAA. Right. It's, I, it, it's really an interesting discussion. Well, I think there are a couple of misconceptions here as, as far as thought process. And this is where I, I agree with Coach Ebb. Um, I think there's a there's this sense that if we just pay the players now, these schools will stop cheating. That's not going to happen. Nope. Um, it if, just if, opens it up for more cheating. Yeah, right? exactly. What they're going to do is they're just going to say, instead of getting the stipend that they're supposed to get and then say, okay, the problem is now fixed, no one's going to cheat anymore, what's going to happen is the, the teams that want to cheat are going to continue to cheat. And there's always going to be cheaters in the NCAA. The problem is not with how much revenue these kids are not getting. The problem is with the mindset. The rules don't apply to us. That's the mindset. And a cheater's always going to cheat, no matter what. And these programs now are getting hit a little bit with the FBI investigation that went on. And, you know, I know that uh, Georgia Tech just got dinged. They're going to miss this coming basketball uh, NCAA tournament at least. Um, and they lost some scholarship guys, and the guy got a show clause. So he's not going to be able to coach, I think, for three years, I think it was in that case. But now uh, University of Kansas which is a KU, which has now become 
uh, you know, which is a blue blood, of course, as we all know, they got uh, served a notice of allegations. And so they're next up. And we'll see what goes where that goes. Yeah, and, uh, and what's funny is if you saw any of the clips on social media with Bill Self and their March, you know, their um, uh, Midnight Madness type thing, he was dressed up with a re- like a rapper going through records wearing a giant Adidas T-shirt with chains on it. So, I mean, part of it's, I think, you know, they're like, well, what are you going to do to us? Uh, and I think almost goading the NCAA into saying, we're going we're gonna to hammer all of you until you try to, if you take action or take notice. I mean, I, at some level, I think the NCAA has to be willing to take a black eye or a bruise and tarnish the image to take on a blue blood or take on somebody that's been violated. I mean, they, they have proof that... But didn't they kind of lose the ability to do that with the way they didn't respond to North Carolina, to I, Ohio State? Don't they lose agree. the ability to yeah. do that? Well, I think they missed their opportunity. And because they missed their opportunity to hammer them, now going and hammering someone else um, looks like you're trying to cover up your past mistakes, which again gives them a black eye. But I think in in order for them to sort of salvage the model that they're in, and I'm not saying that the model potentially doesn't need to be revamped because there's I think the level of money that is flowing into mostly the power five type schools for football and men's basketball is so far and away more than the you know the mid majors that you know, football teams are paying a team a million dollars to come play a game to yeah. get beat. And, you know, how can you justify that? I mean, teams are teams are forced to take a million-dollar loss so that they can afford to have their program. And that's not what amateur sports were built on. That's not what it was about. It, was, it wasn't about the huge dollars. And I think that that's what's corrupted everything, um, you know, and, and – Again, the talking heads see all the money floating around and all the things, and so they want to, well, the players need a cut of the pie. Well, the players may need a cut of the pie, but it just needs to be done differently, and I don't think anyone's come up with a wonderful solution on how that looks yet. And I think this move by California, in my opinion, is a little bit premature because I think it just um, – and again, I don't fault California because I think California is trying to push the envelope, and I think at least it makes, you know, for good – a starting point of where the, where this is going to go. Um, I just I just don't I potentially right now don't agree with the fact that there's got to be other stipulations put in place because it just it opens up too many cans of worms. I tend to agree, and I'm going to take this back in another direction here, just from a legalese standpoint. Because um, somebody actually I was watching on on uh, TV today on uh, the cable news networks made a good point, and that was that the NCAA released a statement in regards to the California ruling that indicated that. If each of these states are going to go individually and make their own laws about this, you're going to create a competitive disadvantage. And that is true. I tend to agree with that. It has to be a federal law on this, I think, to keep it even. If you're, if you're truly worried about that, because each state is going to have their own laws, and there's going to be advantages to each law for each school in that state. So if you have 50 different states with 50 different laws and little tweaks here and there that are going to make the difference between how much you can pay a guy you know, in football or men's basketball – it's going to create kind of a mess as far as recruiting because now all of a sudden you're going to have to think, well, here's what we can offer you legally in our state, but if North Carolina has a better deal, the state of North Carolina has a better deal. I can't, you know. Right. So well, Again, which promotes more cheating. Right, right, yeah. And so, makes it worse, and then you have, you know, let's say a, 
you know, for a Wyoming or a South Dakota State or, a, you know, and again, those schools are competing at the Division One level in men's basketball. There's no way financially those schools are going to be able to compete no matter what they do with, you know, some of the more well-endowed from a, you know, the Dukes or, you know, the, the North Carolinas or, you know, that's just not feasible that they would ever be able to compete at that level. Right. Um, you know, one of the beauties of March Madness from a basketball standpoint is the ability for the the, the Cinderella to be able to come in and beat the big dog. Right. And, and you know, again, you, you make a great point because it does. It sets up an unequal playing field. And, again, I think that's why the NCAA at some level has to, if these start passing and more states start doing it, the NCAA is going to be forced to take some sort of action. And well, that's... I think that's interesting because I think it creates a whole different can of worms. And the other thing that's happened here is that the NCAA with their black eye, you know, worried about getting a black eye. They've been taking black eyes for about the last decade because they it, it's beginning to become more and more common now for them making a decision as to an Ohio State or to uh, a North Carolina when it looks like, at least from the public's perception, that this is systematic cheating that's been going on essentially to, to allow athletes to get away with things. And then the NCAA essentially gives them a slap on the wrist or not even that. Well, and, and that's a black eye. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna take it upside the head. And you you've heard a lot less from NCAA the the, the talking heads that have said, well, everything is you know we we do have a problem. We're gonna address it. Well, they haven't said much lately because they've been taking it upside the the noggin as far as you know public perception and the journalism. You know, the, the national journalists have really taken them to task on some of this stuff. Yeah, and, and I think the they they last thing I saw from the NCAA other than obviously the the statement that you just mentioned was that you know they did come out with notice of allegations to Kansas and in that when that happened they said that there's other dominoes that are going to fall beyond this based on what happened with the NCAA court cases um, you know with Adidas and that stuff Um, so uh, you know uh, nothing's perfect and, and I think that this is a situation where I think the NCAA for a long time sat back and collected the cash cow of the shoe money and some of the other stuff and um was and watch their coaches get millions and millions of dollar salaries and get kickbacks from the shoe companies and stood by because they didn't have to pay the coaches as much as they were getting paid because it came from outside sources and now that that's caught up with them they're they're stuck because they they already took the money and now they've got to pay the piper and that's where I think they um you know it's that it's that conundrum do we cut off our hand to spite our face type situation which is where I think um, the NCAA has kind of put themselves in that position. And somewhere Eric Dickerson is going, you mean I didn't have to say that this car was my grandmother's? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Oh, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. All of a sudden, the, uh, yeah, the uh, Pony XS. Uh, right. Three for 30s, which yep. you were mentioning. And yep. uh, all of a sudden, there was a brand new Trans Am in his... Gold Trans Am. Yeah, Gold Trans Am. <laughs> and uh, they, well, they, I think they called it the Texas A&M Am or something like that. Then they had some kind of special name for that car because they said that he had been being courted by Texas A&M, and then... Because, I mean, basically when he came out, all of the Texas schools were recruiting him. Oh, of course. Yeah, and so I, I think the... Uh, uh, there there was some kind of a, a line. There was some kind of a term that they had used because they knew I that that car had come was, from Texas A&M, but it was oh, I'm sure like I'm a, sure yeah. it was a good one. It was a good one. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> I think we could sit and talk about the this. The Trans for... A&M, I think, is what it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Trans A&M was there now that I think about it. Yeah, that's what I think it was. I think we could sit and talk about this for uh, for a good full hour, but uh, we won't do that because there's kind of some important golf coming up this week, isn't there, Coach? There's a little bit, yeah. Let's Indeed. talk about that. So we got the UMAC championships that actually start on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Um at uh, Pebble Creek in Becker, Minnesota, um, second year that we've had it there, and uh, 
both men and women competing for the UMAC Conference Championships. That's uh, so course familiarity probably a good thing. I'm sure it'll be set up a little bit different than what you're you're used to have played in the past, but uh, obviously a track that your team feels comfortable on, especially the men's side having won the conference title a year ago. Yeah, I think um, you know on the men's side we're we're sitting you know about as good as um, you could hope for. I mean we've got uh, the lowest scoring average in the league. We've uh, you know at the UMAC preview, which was held at at uh, Pebble Creek and Becker, we had. All five guys were in the top ten. Um, you know, you feel pretty confident going in. Um, you know, St. Scholastica is lurking fairly close. I mean, we've got to come out and play well. We're not going to be able to just, you know, show up and give it to us. That's not that's not the situation we're in. So we've got to go out and play well to win, which I think is, you know, what you want. Um, but courses, you know, the course is fairly straightforward. If you can stay, you know, remotely close to the fairway, um, you can you can score well. I think if you get yourself and start getting a little wild off the tee, you can get yourself in some trouble pretty quick. Um, there's some big trees and there's some um, different pieces that could come into play. There's a couple areas where there's some water that comes into play, but for the most part, if you're if you're good off the tee, you can put yourself in a good position. The greens, which is going to be a little different because they would they had been aerated. Um, probably two weeks or so before the preview so the greens were a little rough at the preview so greens should be fully kind of healed and ready to roll and that'll be interesting um last year the greens were much quicker at the championship than they were at the preview um so i think you know that's that's something that i think our guys for sure are um we've tried to prepare them for we've played some pretty tough golf the last couple weeks uh, as far as playing um, the last two tournaments some my basically Mayak tournaments we went and played in two of those to kind of get ourselves ready and played some tough tough tracks and um, we'll see what happens there I think we've got a good shot uh, and I would say we're probably the favorite going in on the men's side on the women's side I think um, you know Sklaska's had a really good run they're 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 very tough uh, we finished third in the preview and I think we, you know, our, I talked to our ladies a little bit, and I'm just like, you know, realistically, I think our goal there is to go out and finish second and uh, try to scare Scholastica as much as possible and, and see if we can't make them nervous enough that um, they come back to the field a little bit. And, you know, in order for us to beat Scholastica, we'd have to play really, really well. And they're just too deep for, for what we have right now on the women's side. But I think, um, you know, I think... Th- I think we have the ability to potentially make them a little nervous. We Our ladies played really well last weekend. Um, Maddie Friedman got second in uh, the um, one of the Viking or the Bethany Lutheran, because they did it two separate one-day tournaments. But um, one of the two, I can't remember which one, she finished second with an 86. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think Elena Tula has played her best golf yet this year, so I think she's excited to play. And, you know, I think we'll – We'll go and um, play aggressive on the women's side and try to see what we can do to um, challenge challenge St. Scholastica. Elena's having a pretty nice junior year, and I would imagine she's going to be right in the hunt for the medalist honors, isn't she? I think she's got a good chance. I mean, I think um, uh, Hannah Johnson is from St. Scholastica. She's really good, and um, she won the UMAC championship last year as an individual. I think she's got the inside track to to repeat as medalist i think she's just 
Um, but she's she's prone to occasionally have a hiccup. I mean, she she can throw in a mid eighties round as easy as she can throw in a seventy five. So. Um, you know, she but she's super talented, really, really good left-handed player. Um, but I think Elena's got the ability. I mean, I really feel like Elena's probably not yet played her best golf. Um, darn softball keeps getting in the way of her being a great, <laughs> be, be, being a great golfer, and she, um, trying to break her of her softball swing takes a little while because she gets used to being the softball player, and then to try to get her into golf mode and. Um, she does both, you know, of course, over the summer, and so it kind of screws with both swings, probably. But uh, she's uh, she's probably our, you know, I, I, not probably. She is our leading uh, candidate on the women's side. I think um, both Maddie Friedman and Sarah Walquist have both had nice years. I think both of them have really sort of hit their stride here late, um, which is good timing. Um, and you know, Shalise Snowden and, and Grace Runkus both have the ability to get get in the 90s and, and see what they can do. So we'll see what happens on the women's side. I love how you say she could have a hiccup in the mid-80s. Like A hiccup in the mid-80s, for me, that's reason to celebrate. Oh, <laughs> no, no question. No question. But uh, I'm telling you, Hannah Johnson's a legitimately good golfer. And uh, I think she went out and shot 73 or 74 at our Twin Ports Collegiate and was – I mean, I, she was lights out. She was making – and I don't think she even played that well that day because she missed some fairways, but she her iron play and mid-iron play was unbelievable. I had to put her next to any of the guys out there that day the way she was striking her irons. So um, I didn't, she's probably not listening, but Hannah Johnson is a is a top-notch golfer from St. Scholastica. Even next to the guy who shot the 66? <laughs> yeah, well, that guy, that guy was uh, also on fire that day. So I've seen him play a couple times since then because we've seen St. Mary's in a couple of their tournaments, and he's he's not been the same. Let's just say he had a very, very, very good day at, at Namaji that day. It's funny, though, because you talked about the fact that on your men's side you've been playing a lot of Mayak teams. Some of the scores that those Mayak teams put up are crazy. Oh, they're I, I mean, mean, some of those – I mean, Gustavus won the event that you were just in, the Twin Cities Classic. It's a three-day event. They were plus nine as a team for the entire three days, oh, which yeah. is just unbelievable to me. And the, they had their leader. Their leading guy was two under again. Yeah, so. the, the depth. And that's – we're closing the gap there. Um, you know, being only in our, I don't know, fifth – was this our fifth year, fourth year? Fifth year. Fifth year. I had to think about fifth, it for a second. Uh, yeah. Fifth year. Fifth year as a team, uh, my fourth uh, full year. And uh, we're starting to close that gap. Uh, on the men's side, I think that it's one of those things that it's going to take some time. I think that their tradition and their resources are just um, better than ours. Um, and, and, you know, being a newer program, I think where we've taken the men's program in four years has been um, pretty remarkable in a lot of ways. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, we're in Superior, Wisconsin. We're not exactly a golf mecca. Not to say that we don't have great opportunities and great courses and things like that here because we do. But, um, you know, we're not, you know, Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona. We're not, you know, the Twin Cities. We're not, um, you know, everybody thinks our weather is terrible when in reality they've had more snow in the Twin Cities over the last couple of years than we have. And right. so it's one of those things where um, there's some perceptions that need to change and those things. And that takes time. You can't just do that overnight. And I think steadily we've gotten deeper. I mean, if you took the top 20 scoring average right now today, because I saw it, I think we have seven or eight guys on our roster that would qualify to be in the top 20 scoring average in the UMAC, which, you know, is pretty interesting. And we've had, I think our top five are all within the top 10 or 11 in the, in the conference and scoring average. So 
you know, our depth is good. I didn't, I don't feel like we, if somebody all of a sudden was sick, is our, is our drop off or, or got hurt, is our drop off as, as great as it's been in the past. And I would say that we're deeper now than we've ever been. And that's the di- deal with, I mean, St. John's, Gustavus, St. Thomas, you know, they've got 10 or 12 guys that can all play at that level all yeah. the time. And, you know, St. Tom or St. John's messed with their lineup that they had from the weekend before and through qualifying or whatever. And so they're, they're five that won the St. Um, John's or the Johnny Classic. Or St. Thomas won the Johnny Classic, I think. Right, but it yeah. was St. John's finished second, I think. And the lineup that they had for that event was different than the lineup that they had for um, the Twin Cities Classic. And, you know, both teams were in the top six or seven, I think. So um, the, the depth those schools have is just different than ours. And we're hopefully at a point where we'll we'll get there. But we're not there yet. And that's But for us to go play those schools and to, you know, get in the mix and, and be fairly competitive – is um, a huge positive. I mean, the course we played yesterday was unbelievable. Um, our guys were talking about how Minnesota Valley might be one of the nicest courses they've ever seen. I mean, private club, the only reason we get to play there is because the assistant from Gustavus um, is the president of the club, and so we get to go play at Minnesota Valley Country Club, which is, I mean, this is how exclusive it is. They don't even have team markers showing you which hole is which you just have to know because you're a member and you know which hole is which and you go from hole to hole the way wow. you're supposed to. There's no, I mean. I've only was, been on one of those once. There's nothing that says this is the 10th hole, the first hole. You just are supposed to know. And so they were literally passing out maps because a lot of kids had no idea which hole was which. Right. And, you know, you're trying to figure out and you're looking at the map about which hole is which and where you're supposed to be because there's literally no T markers to tell you anywhere on the course which hole is which. Wow. And it was that part, I think, was I, that's the first time I've ever seen that um, par 73, you know, which is a little, little unique, cool, super cool, old school, built in the early 20s course. That's big, huge oak fairway, you know, oak lined fairways and um, crazy kind of undulations in the greens and just um, things that are just you don't see every day. Um, gave you that sort of that old school like. Augusta National type feel. I mean right. that like this old school elite country club, and that's our guys got that experience yesterday, and that's that's something to there. You know, us and Saint Scholastica are the only two schools from the UMAC that were there, and it's one of those things where you know our ten men that played in that event got a really really cool experience. Whether it was whether we you know we didn't win, and you know I was disappointed in how we played yesterday, um, and our guys were disappointed in how they played yesterday, but to get that experience and to get that piece for them and made it all worth it. I mean, to go play a place like that where they're saying, man, this might be the nicest course I've ever played. And these, you know, we're, we've, we've played some pretty nice places and, <laughs> right. and our guys have yeah. played, you know, our guys have played some pretty nice places and they're, they're like, well, this might be the nicest course I've ever played. You know, it's interesting too, uh, you know, a lot of college, you know, tournaments that are hosted by different schools, especially around the Midwest, are one-day events. You've been playing multiple-day events now, and I mean, two-day event at St. John's, and now a three-day event hosted by Gustavus, which you saw really good competition. I mean, I was looking at those scores, you know, putting together the, my notes on your team. I mean, you're talking about some seriously good, like you said, deep teams, and just the experience. Like I, I would imagine, 
is worth it just as much as even just going out to play with those guys. Just being able to see what those guys are able to do and what their programs are like and how they conduct themselves. Yeah, and for me it was really important after Nationals last year um, to sort of take the next step that, you know, we okay, so step one obviously was get more competitive and, and then step two was to win the conference championship. And then step three is how do we take that next step and continue to grow and continue to push for um, multiple championships in the conference and to keep the program growing. And one of those things was to take that experience from nationals and really look at building off of that. And one of those ways that we tried to do that was to beef up our scheduling. Um, you know, and I'm a big fan of the multi-day tournament. I think that that's the way you're going to play at a national tournament. That's the way that you're going to play at a um, most events. And I, and I get the reason for some of the one days and some of that stuff. But um, we've gone almost exclusively to the two-day weekend type tournaments because that, A, they miss less class. I mean, we've missed less class this year than we have any other year. That and I've it been. feels like your team's playing every day. Yeah, it feels like we are. But, but we play... Um, and this week, aside from this week, we've, we've, we've missed maybe three or four days of class on the men's side. Um, you know, we had it, we had a Monday where we played in Eau Claire and we had a Friday where we played at the, the Midwest regional down in Galena. Um, and then we had this Monday and I think those, and then we UMAC preview, which was a one day, those are the four days of class we've missed. And, um, you know, so aside from the UMAC championship and this week, we're going to, you know, this week's a rough week for us academically because we're going to miss a lot of class. But um, it's one of those things where I think we're we're, we're well prepared to play in a um, three day tournament because we've gr- we've grinded over multiple days. Where I think some of the other teams that have played mostly one days are going to be like, well, they'll, they might come out and play well on the first day, but are they going to have the stamina or yeah. the strength to come out and play the second and the third day? Especially if they have a, you know a rough spot in there, are they you know are they going to panic? Are they you know? Our guys know that if they come out and they have a bad hole or two, they, they're going to have, what do they got? They got 36-plus more to go. I mean, you can make up for um, – it doesn't happen overnight, and I think that's a better sign of a true champion from a team perspective too. So I think that that's one of the cool things about golf is that you can get out and um, just experience different things, and I think that that's what we've tried to do by getting into the the Johnny um, Spring Cl- – or the St. John's class there or the tournament they had and then the Twin Cities because I think it just – you know, again, those teams are traveling to play in the D3 preview, the D3 championship preview, and St. John's and St. Thomas both were down in Florida playing in the preview at the course that's going to be, you know, at the PGA National where they're going to host the national championship the week before we played in St. John's. And um, both of them held their own. I mean, I think St. Thomas was top five at the UMAC, or at the D3 preview. Um, St. Thomas, you know, was top five there and then turns around and wins the St. John's tournament the next that, that next weekend. And so it's like, well, we've seen teams that have played at the national tournament. We've been to the national tournament. Um, you know, nothing of this is going to be a surprise to us. We're used to playing at this type of level, and being able to sustain that level consistently is kind of the goal. And that's where I think um, building on that is kind of the point. What effect, of, if any, does it have on your team where <clears throat> you're playing in a national meet? And you got there by qualifying eight months before. That was hard. Um, that was a that's a good question because that that was really kind of hard for us, um, especially because our spring uh, last year was awful. Um, it just it was. We had no ability to kind of get outside. And our first tournament we're supposed to play down in 
uh, at Wisconsin Lutheran down by Minneapolis or down by Milwaukee area, and then we're going to go play at Lake Forest down in Northern Illinois. And I'm excited because we're playing two really good courses, and you know we get down to Wisconsin Lutheran and we get there the night before, and um, it's supposed to be 35 and wind blowing off you know the Lake Michigan, and and it was. I mean the day was miserable. And, um, that was our first outside since spring break. And cause then our, none of the courses up here were even open yet. So we go out and play, um, our guys had hit maybe a bucket or two of balls outside. And that would, that would have been the extent of, of what we did last spring. And then the next day it gets canceled because of snow. And so, you know, to say that you win your conference championship in the fall, which by all means, we should host our conference championship in the fall. Our weather up here is conducive to a fall championship. Um, so there's, I don't, I'm not saying that we don't need to do that, but I also think that, and and again, Nick Bursick, our athletic director, and I talked about trying to be a little bit more strategic with maybe how we handle our spring so that we're a little bit more prepared if we would happen to qualify and win. And so working on some things on the backside about maybe some spring scheduling stuff to try to get us maybe a little bit more prepared. Um, but it, no matter what we do, we're, we're behind, you know, we're not, we're never going to be, have the weather that they do have the California schools or the schools down in Texas or the, even the, the Carolinas or those schools that are, you know, routinely your national powers in D3 golf are those schools in the South. And um, it's, it's true in division one golf. It's true in division two golf. It's, I mean, you're the best schools are typically your Southern based schools that have good weather all the time. And it's, it's no secret. I mean, it's it, can can the can the Wisconsin and the Minnesotas of the you know of the Big Ten be competitive? Yeah, they can be competitive because they have the resources to be able to go out and get good players, and they have the resources to build beautiful facilities to help these kids get better. Um, and you know the education level, so kids are attracted to go to school there. But you know, if if it, if my choice is Arizona State, where I have 365 days of sun, to go to school, or I'm going to the University of Minnesota, and well, I'm. I'm Trust me, I'm going to the ASU and, and I'm playing in the sun 365 days oh, yeah, a year. Right. I mean, that's so. If you're an elite level player, you're still pick, you're picking the Texases, you're picking the Oklahoma States, you're picking those schools over any of the northern schools because the weather's better. It's like baseball and softball. Hundred yep. I mean, percent. Yeah, it's exactly it the same thing. It is. Yeah. It's it's so we're at a competitive disadvantage no matter what based on our location. And and I get that. I'm not making excuses for that. To address that situation, I think we have to be a little bit more strategic on how we try to schedule in the spring. Um, and, you know, that's a growth process for all of us because it's um, it's going to require a little bit more resources financially to be able to do some of that stuff. And, you know, I'm not expecting miracles to happen overnight. You know, we're just not going to get in a, a million-dollar endowment for our golf program because that's not going to happen. But it's one of those things where – if we're smart and we and we try to do some research, can we figure out ways to make our program better? And that's, you know, that's the discussions that we're trying to have behind the scenes to make sure that our programs continue to grow and that we're trying to do the things the right way for the for the team and for our for our community. Well, one advantage that you do have is having a bunch of guys that have been through it before. Oh, for They're, sure. Yeah, and and you know having the Joey Cummings and some of the guys that are on the roster, the guys that have come back, you know, Ryan Petersons and the Tyler Smiths and the other guys that have been on the roster. Yeah, you know that have have experienced that you know that winning the conference title last year. Then you take six months off, you know, or you know at least three or four months before you even start thinking about hitting the ball again, and then getting ready to go to a national tournament in the spring. So I mean they've been through that; they kind of understand the grind of it. But to your point, that's a good one. You know, it's yeah. one of those things you have to take a step by step. For I mean, sure, and I think that's you know it's 
for me, I mean, I'm no secret. Golf's not my initial background. I mean, I had started came to UWS as the basketball coach and um, have have sort of fallen in love with being the golf coach. I think it's it's uh, um, been an amazing experience and one of those things that I think is uh, credit to initially to the guys that I I've been able to have in the program and. Um, now the the ladies that I've taken over as well, and so kind of those the credit goes to them because it makes my life easy. Um, you know the, the guys like Joey Cummings, who um, is a Duluth East kid. He's he's playing school. He's playing from basically at home, and this is you know he lives at home. He's um, comes to school and goes to class, and he goes home, and that's you know so it's it's one of the, it's a little weird because he's not your traditional you know on campus student all the time, but. Um, it, been able to use someone like him to help sort of grow our program. And you follow him up with a Ryan Peterson, who's also a Duluth East kid. And, um, you know, we've made some connections in the area with, with them. I mean, we've got Michael Shintz now, who's another Duluth East kid that's a freshman who I think's got a chance to turn into a really good player. And, um, I believe we call that a pipeline. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I think that, you know, what's funny is I looked at this thing and if you'd have taken the three Duluth East kids from, because Liam Butchie is also from Duluth East, and he plays for Sklaska. If you'd have taken Peterson, um, Cummings, and Butchie, and you know, take one other good player from either one of our two teams, I think we'd have been super, super competitive as far as even in the MIAC level schools. You know, we wouldn't have won the tournament, but we'd have been, um, I think, top ten for sure with just those three Duluth East kids and. So I think there's some there's some pieces there. I think you know um, our other you know Zach Jokey's a Hermantown kid, um, and Sam Albrecht's from Eveleth Gilbert. So our 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 core of our team is all within a hundred miles. Um, you know Tyler Smith is the only one that's an outlier, and he's a senior and he's been here for this is his fourth year. And so um, you know that that team is they're basically local kids that have come to here to play golf and um, had a I think for most part of you know. I'm not trying to speak for them, but I think they've had a really good experience and a great student experience for, for the time that they've been here. Um, and that's kind of my goal. I mean, you know, get them a chance to see and do things. I mean, spring break trip to Alabama, spring break trip to Phoenix, you know, those things that we've done, trip to the national tournament last year, hopefully a trip to the national tournament this spring, those things that we've done that, you know, regular kids aren't getting that opportunity. Right. And that's the, what we've, you know, from a culture standpoint here at D3 and from UW Superior and all those things, we've talked at length about the student experience, and that's where I think that we've we've met that benchmark. We're giving our kids an experience, and I think that that's the piece that we're trying to really continue to grow with, you know, and for me, that's uh, I'm uh, excited on the women's side to kind of give them that opportunity as well because I don't know that they've had the same experience that we've had on the guys' side, and not to say that their experience has been negative or anything. It's just been different. And to give them that same experience and play high-level golf, and you know, we beefed up their schedule this year, and we've made them play more more matches than they played, and um, I think that's shown with their progress over the course of the year. Maybe you take their scores early to what they're scoring um, last weekend. I think their scores have generally, for all almost all of them, have gotten better, and it's one of those things where you know you play more golf, you're going to score better, and um, you know, I think that that's been my goal trying to build both programs in that same direction and model now our women's program after what I was able to try to do early with them with the men 
I imagine the move from basketball to golf has taken a few points off the old blood pressure too, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just different. I mean, right. um, you know, basketball, because of the nature of AAU and all the things, recruiting for basketball is 365. Uh, it never stops. I mean, it just it, it just never stops. And in order to try to, you know, to get good players, you have to be on your game all the time with basketball and and golf is there's I mean to say that you you don't need to I mean golf's a little bit different from a recruiting standpoint because you can see what a kid can shoot and you can recruit a kid based on a number rather than you know other physical attributes I mean you know uh, not to pick on him but Bryce Wainio is a great example the kid's a bigger kid I mean he's he's uh but I don't care that he's a bigger kid. He, I'm not trying to look at a specific profile. I'm looking for somebody that can go out and shoot and play golf. I don't, you know, I don't care if you're five foot two as long as you can score. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, basketball. Okay, well, I got to find somebody that's you know six seven six eight because I got to be able to man the middle and protect the paint. Well, you know, those people are hard to find. Well, you know, can you shoot seventy five on a regular basis? Well, perfect. You're you're a men's golfer. Right. You know, it's one right. of those things yeah. where. Um, I don't. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you look. It does, that part doesn't matter because I'm not trying to fit a specific need. I'm. Can can you score or not? Because if that's the case, you know, we'll definitely be interested based on your score. And then obviously you do a little more research to find out the kid's personality and all those things. Does he fit um, academically? You know, athletic. All the other pieces to the puzzle. I'm not to say that I'm just taking whoever I can get based on score, but right. you know, you get. Right. Um, that the recruiting is just different, and uh, it's, um, uh, yeah, I would say there's just less golf's just less pressure and less, uh, you know, it's calmer and, um, generally just less intense, which I think has been really good for me. Um, it still keeps me connected and tied to the to UW, which UWS, which is which is huge for me because I. You know, I, I, I've fallen in love with UWS, and so for me to, I mean, you know, I'm not an alum, but to me to, to say that this is places, there's a lot of great things about UWS, and I think that, um, you know, it's it, so for me that ability to stay connected and stay a part of the athletic department has been a huge piece of, you know, of, for, for me, so. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting too because uh, of course I've known you both ways. I've known you as a basketball coach and also as the golf coach. And um, you know, it, it was cool for me when you first took over the golf program and you brought kids in. I remember when Joy Cummings first came, how excited you were you got him to come. I remember I walked in your office and you said, "I got this kid and he's going to help us for four years. He's going to be a really good player." Here. And he's a regular podcast listener. <laughs> yeah, is he really? He yeah. tunes us in. He no, told shout me out that. to Joey. But uh, you know, but I remember you were just as excited to get the golf recruits as you were to get a basketball recruit, which was cool to me. That was, you know, I was like, I got a kid coming in that uh, you know that is that's going to help us right away. You yeah. know, and 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 he's a good kid. He's a local kid. He can score, and you know, he fits our profile perfectly. And I, you know, I saw that kind of gleam in your eye when he when he came in. So that that kind of for me, seeing you make the transition in that regard was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you know. For me, I am uh, super excited because uh, I, I, you know, I've been to say that I've been working hard to recruit on the female side is probably an understatement. Um, I probably shouldn't say this because <laughs> hopefully my my bosses at Northwestern High School aren't listening. But during my prep hour, I spend a lot of time recruiting um, <laughs> uh, on the women's side. So. Um, 
you know, are, has it paid off yet? Not yet, but the then the data that and you know my historical track record from a recruitment standpoint, I feel really comfortable about where we're at on the women's side, and so um, I'm super excited with where I think the direction we're headed with some some new blood coming in on that side. Um, you know, on the men's side, I get to be a little more choosy um, than I than I have in the past, which is which is good. I don't, I'm I'm not in the the volume theory. I, I, it's not one of those deals with men's golf where um, you know sometimes with certain things it's okay. Well, I just need bodies. Well, I don't just need bodies anymore on the men's side. I need guys that fit a certain profile and a certain scoring ability. Um, and that's a change um, from when I first took over, um, you know. And so, yeah, I was. I mean, I'm, I'm super excited when I get um, good a good golfer because I think that you know I have passion for it. I care about it, and that's the you know, yeah, I'm excited because I put in some work to get these kids. And right. when it pays off, it that's you get pretty excited. I mean, I right. know Garver can speak to that because he helps with hockey recruitment. But you get that kid that you've worked hard to to get, and he says yes, you're like. Yeah, let's yeah, go. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's one, feeling. It is. It's a great feeling. It's yeah. and it's. It's cool for me to see it. That well, was the, yeah. Yeah, and then, and you, you know, recruitment is making connections with kids, and if you can make that connection, and you can get them to buy into you, or because reality, <laughs> uh, little background noise there. Reality, reality <laughs> is you're trying to sell yourself to these recruits, and when you can do that, that's the piece that. Um, and they buy into you. You're, you I mean, it, I hate to say it, it gives you a little ego boost because the kids bought into your idea of what you have and your, what you're selling for the program. Um, you know, and, and again, because as much as kids want to come, the kids are coming here because of the athletic experience. You, you know, the academic piece is a part of it, but that for a lot of these kids, it's the athletics. When they first come in the door, it's a lot of them. It's the athletic piece first and the academic piece second. Um I mean, every school has a business program. Every school has an education program. How can you sell that program to this kid specifically, and how does it meet the needs? Well, you know, if the kid's a business major, we can sell that. Okay, we, I can sell our business program. I can sell our TNL program. I can sell those things. The thing that they're trying to they're buying into is the experience and the golf things and things that we can offer. And I think that that's the same for for all of our sports. Is that you know we we have things to offer. But you're really trying to sell yourself and your program and what you bring to the table as the coach and as the leader of the program and the pieces that you've built as part of your, you know, your family, your team, and you're selling that to a, to a kid and you're inviting that kid to come join your family. That's, that's, that's a big deal to have somebody say, yeah, I want to be a part of your family. Got time for a little rapid fire before we let you go? Absolutely. All right. First one that I ask every coach, and yours, I guess, is kind of answered already based on, <laughs> on what you do. But if you're not a coach, what are you? I am a uh, history teacher. Uh, <laughs> currently. <laughs> currently a history teacher. It's, it's funny because you mentioned the, the, you were talking about uh, the political aspect of it earlier with the, when we were talking about the NCAA. And I'm like, yeah, this opens up a whole different kind of worms from a, from a political aspect because, you know, my, I was a political science minor. And so started dealing with some of that. It, it just creates a lot of interesting dialogue. So um, I would probably be a history teacher at a local high school probably. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> Easy one to answer. Favorite ice cream? Ooh, um, I like a good ice cream. Um, favorite? I'm a big fan of like a blueberry cheesecake. Uh, or if I go to Cold Stone, I'm getting strawberry with cheese or cheesecake, um, cheesecake 
ice cream with strawberries in it. That's what I'm getting. Ooh, now you're talking his language. This, this is kind of without stuff, a doubt. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I would also say peanut buttery chocolate Reese's peanut butter cup stuff. That's that's right up my alley too. But excellent. These kind uh, of things that you sound like you could get from like a Ben and Jerry's, but if you're going to Stone Cold Creamery, then that also. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, then but, you can build your own, and it's oh yeah, for it's sure. Beautiful. You know, throw throw in a little cookie or graham cracker crust crumb. You can get pretty creative there. That sounds fantastic right now. So good, so good. You can only listen to one song for the rest of your life. Oh, what is it? You know, that's that's almost an impossible. I was question. about to say that knowing you, knowing him, you know his, me because yeah. I am very I tend to be pretty eclectic with the music stuff. Um, can listen to just and about, it depends on your mood of the day oh, and all that. I get it. I can listen to just about anything. I would probably have to say, hmm, man, that's super hard. I knew that one was going to get him. Like I, yeah, <laughs> that, I, that rap- I know him and, and how much he likes classic music too. So that is yeah. Uh, so I I could go. I'll give you three. I could go a couple different ways. So first of all, it would be something by George Strait, like uh, um, Unwound or something. One like an old George Strait song. Um, I would probably um, Amarillo by Morning. Ooh, there's another good one. Yeah. But I would probably say something old school George Strait. Um, then I would say something along the lines of a um, Roy Orbison, um, something along that line. Um, you know, only the lonely or Candyman or um, Leah. There's another good one. Um, so something along that line, which I'm cheating totally because I'm not picking a song. Um, <laughs> I told you I'd give you three. And then probably. I would go to the other extreme, and I'd probably do um, like "Knocking on Heaven's Door" by the Guns N' Roses, or I'd go "Welcome to the Jungle" or something like that. So I've got a little crazy metal upbeat. I've got sort of a chill, you know, chill old rock and roll type song, and then I've got a country song. So I got to ask a quick follow-up question. Big fan of Trapping Wilburys, I assume. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't ever listen to the Wilburys a ton, um, but huge Roy Orbison fan. Um, would say that uh, the blend of the Wilburys sometimes uh, I didn't suit me as much as just Roy by himself. I think um, Roy by himself was hard to beat. Um, I agree. Bri- brilliant singer. Um, well, I think one of the m- most underappreciated voices in music history. I would agree. I think unbelievable. I think that he, um, you know. And, I, and unique. Yeah. It was, it was a very spontaneous, unique kind of voice. Well, and he could you knew like it was him as soon as you five different octaves. Yeah, he, I mean, the guy could, let's just face it, the guy was an unbelievable, talented singer. Um, I did forget my guy, Chris Stapleton, which is another guy that I'm a huge fan of. So... I don't know. That's a super hard question for me. I almost have to change it then and go. You can only listen to one mixtape for the rest oh, of your life. I, that would be <laughs> that would be a very eclectic. Because lately, of course, I have teenage daughters, and so I've been listening to hits one on uh, Sirius XM, and so I've been listening to a lot of like poppy stuff, like Billie Eilish and uh, um, Five Seconds of Summer, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So it's been it's. Uh, um, but I I love music. I think music is. Uh, a wonderful addition to our world and it's a piece that I I listen to something every single day. Well that would be one of those and knowing you as well as I do, I know it would be like twenty twenty five songs. Even if even if we actually oh, make a mix. Yeah, it would, there's no yeah. way. Yeah. 
Because then again, I, I just like you start talking. Oh, I gotta have that one. That's probably why I own two hundred and fifty plus CDs. So. <laughs> For people that still listen to CDs, so I have a quite a collection myself. So I'm I'm right there. Oh, with I am too. I've got plenty in that are in my basement. I got the vinyl down there too. So yep. I go a lot of different directions musically, just like you do. Yeah. So Wisconsin native, what is the one must see tourist attraction in the state of Wisconsin? Um. According to you. Well, you haven't lived in Wisconsin if you haven't been at the Dells. So I would say the Wisconsin Dells is the is the must-see attraction. Now, which attraction in the Dells? I would say the boats or the ducks is the best thing you do in the Dells. Dells overrated? 100%. Okay. <laughs> 100 percent overrated. That's what I was wondering. Uh, but it's uh yeah, Dells is 100 percent overrated. Um but that's basically, you know, 30 minutes from my house um, or where I grew up. I shouldn't say grew up because, but that's where my family's from. And so worked in the Dells and um, all sorts of stuff. But I would say if you've never been to Wisconsin Dells, you're, you need to experience it once. I feel like I should do that too because the only time I've ever been there is during the dead of winter. Oh, no. When we've, had, when we've been on the road for basketball. And I know Summer. you remember those days. Yeah, when we, were, we had those road trips back in the Wyack days where we would stop and practice at the Dulls. Yep. And then uh, one time we got lost in a backcountry road trying to find a restaurant. And, Ooh. I mean, it, we were, I, I know we all remember that. Oh, that yeah. Was, uh, we went to Rookies, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we got lost, and then uh, we drove up on the road. We, we made oh, some. Yeah. <laughs> this hit, opens up a book uh, now. Yeah. Hit, hit the fence at Platteville going around the, yeah. the, around the outfield and. Ripped all the lights off the side of the bus because he hit the fence. I think it was first year with the men's basketball program, too. Our first road trip, we went down to Eau Claire to play at Zorn, and the guy missed the turn. And it's only a one way. You have to go, if you're going to Zorn Arena at Eau Claire, if you've ever been there, you have to, you either have to stop because it's right there or you have to keep going. There's no way to turn around a bus there because it's a two lane road. So you got to go down near the lake and then you got to try to back out. And he backed over a stop sign, as I recall, I Mm -hmm. think, on the way. So we, on their way over, and there were all these Eau Claire students that were looking at us like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, are you going to run us over? Or, like, what's going to happen? <laughs> but, yeah, we drove up on the sidewalk at Platteville because we missed a turn and ended up going over the outside of the – I think it was a, a baseball field, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was. Clipped the fence. It was the, all the lights on the outside of the bus and even the, um, like, the little rim protectors for the lug nuts got knocked off the bus. So it, was, it was pretty cool. Don Mul- <laughs> the look on, on Don Mulhern's cool. face, who was a, our former coach, of course, of the women's program, the look on his face during that entire episode – was something I'll never forget because he turned and looked at me. Well, my, the scary part of that one is I thought we were getting stuck at the end of the road because we had to bust through a snowdrift to get off the back because off the back part of the the baseball field there was a big snowdrift and the driver I think was a little concerned that he, so he guns it and we bust through this big snowdrift and I and I was I'm like oh we're getting stuck there's no way and he powered through it was good good driving by the bus driver on that one so <laughs> yeah, that LCS all, coaches can get that it was done. all on the same trip because we were on spring break and we went to Oshkosh and then we were playing at Platteville as what happened so we stayed on the road for like three nights I think it was mm-hmm. and then yeah. we practiced at the Dells we got lost going to rookies and then oh, I remember all that. yeah that was, I'm having flashbacks now <laughs> yeah and we we ended up driving down this two lane dirt road and we went over a bridge un, under this canopy of trees and I remember thinking where are we are we still on planet Earth like uh, we've been driving around now and I have no idea I'm hoping we're in Wisconsin somewhere like that was where I was <laughs> yeah no so kidding. that was all on that same trip and I mean and then we and then we 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 <laughs> the end of the trip was the scratching the bus driving across the outside <laughs> up against the fence. Trying to find our way to Bull Ryan Court. That was yeah. <laughs> it, it's the beauty of the the travels of team sports in the college level. So that was 
it was quite a trip. Oh yeah, we've had I've had a few of those. If we could all write a book. Oh, oh man, the stories we could tell. He's Coach Paul Eberhardt from the Yellow Jacket Golf Teams, and uh, happy birthday to you! Thank you. Good luck in the UMAC Championships this week. Thank you for that, and thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's been a fun. We'll take a break, and we will come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm podcast right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Donji's East End Tavern, located in the heart of Superior's East End and a proud sponsor of Yellow Jacket Athletics. Ken Mertz and Mertz Rookie Insurance, a full-service agency with more than 35 years of experience offering all lines of personal and commercial insurance. 866-378-4936, online at MertzRookieInsurance.com. Burnix, local distributors of Pepsi and proud supporters of UW-Superior. And by Northwest Outlet, family-owned and operated for more than 60 years, offering a full line of sporting goods, footwear, clothing, and outerwear. 1814 Belknap and Superior or at northwestoutlet.com. Final segment of the Eye of the Swarm and uh, a quick look at what's going to happen here over the course of the next week between now and the next time we sit down for a conversation and kind of a light week at home. We've got soccer going on less than an hour from when we're recording this. Women's right. soccer up at NBC and then on Saturday we got volleyball and that's it. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny though because everybody's actually pretty busy. Yeah, but it's just <laughs> yeah, not here. It's not you here. Know, for the, uh, for staffing purposes, this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, it makes it that much easier. Uh, what's on tap? Uh, Wednesday, tomorrow. We talked about the fact that uh, men's soccer now is kind of in the height of their season. The bridge battle, latest renewal on Wednesday, tomorrow, 3.30 p.m. One. Yep, up at Saints Field at, uh, in Duluth taking on Saints Scholastica. On Saturday, they are on the road. Our coach Joe Mooney and the Yellow Jackets will be taking on Martin Luther 2 p.m. And then at Sunday, they're at Luther, which will be a heck of a challenge because that Luther team is very the good. The are good. I, they were ranked nationally, uh, I want to say, almost top 10. Does that yeah, they're, right? yeah, they're in the top 10 right now. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I actually checked up on them, and they actually played St. Scholastic at the beginning of the year and gave them quite a, quite a thorough Trip beating. Trip to the woodshed? Yeah, quite a thorough beating in that game. Uh, we played him here last year, lost to him, I think, in a pretty tight game, as I recall. Is one nothing or yeah, 2 one, Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. But, uh, yeah, that'll be a big uh, challenge coming up for Coach Joe Mooney's team. So three games between now and when we will be back with our next podcast. Uh, their next home game, by the way, next Wednesday against North Central. And that'll be a 1 p.m. opening kick from the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. But three games coming up for Coach Mooney and the, and the boys here in the next few days. They'll learn a little bit about their crew, that's for sure. Yeah, they will. And like you said, women's soccer right now, they are hosting or about to host UW Stout over at the MEC Spartan Sports Complex. 7 p.m., the opening kick there. And then they're next at, at on the docket Saturday at Martin Luther, 4.30 p.m., the opening kick of that contest. And then Monday, another made-up game for Coach Allison Groat And the ladies, this was a game that was really scheduled a few weeks ago, I think. Well, either way, it's St. Mary's. They're hitting the road going down to Winona to take on the Cardinals, 7 p.m., the opening kick there, and they will, of course, next be home as well. It was one of those that Mother Nature intervened on and said, not today, yeah, my friends. You're exactly. not going to go kick their own ball around this time. They'll be next at home a week from this coming or, or from game Wednesday. Game two of the North yes. Central doubleheader. Yeah, game two of the North Central doubleheader, yep. so that'll be a 3.30 opening kick. From the NBC Spartan Sports Complex, uh, women's volleyball is next in action. 
they're actually playing as we speak or about to play as we speak down at the Johnson Fieldhouse at uh, taking on St. Uh, or UW's Stout, excuse Stout. me. Yep. 7 p.m. down at the Johnson Fieldhouse in Menominee. They'll be back at home on Saturday. That'll be our first broadcast or my first broadcast on 91.3 FM. They'll be taking on Minnesota Morris at home uh, for Senior Day, 3 p.m. the opening serve there. I'll be on with the pregame starting about 2:40. I think or they're so, going to so. learn a little about their team on Saturday too. Yeah, that, you're, uh, you're going to find out where you stack up within the conference, and I would think for all the returners, there's got to be a little bit there from the team that knocked you out of the playoff last year on your home court. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You would think so, and uh, you know, we'll be interesting to see. Uh, that's a, that's going to be a, a big challenge for Coach Lynn Diedrich and the volleyball team taking on the preseason favorites. In the UMAC this year, the Minnesota Morris Cougars, 3 p.m. again, the opening serve of that contest. Men's and women's cross country was idle last week, so they didn't have uh, anything on the docket, but they get back to it this week, Saturday at the Dan Houston Invitational, hosted by Wartburg College at the Wartburg Cross Country Course in Waverly, Iowa, down on your old stomping grounds. Yep. Men's race will get underway there at 10.45 a.m. on Saturday, women's race at 11.30, and then, of course, men's and women's golf, as we've already talked about with Coach Paul Eberhardt. They're, both teams are at the UMAC Championships down in Becker, Minnesota, so... Busy All that's week. coming up, yep. Busy week. Get down to NBC tonight. Hopefully you were at NBC yeah, tonight hopefully by the you time you're listening there. to this. <laughs> <laughs> the perils of not having a live show. Get down and uh, and see the Jackets play there. Otherwise, your only opportunity for home action this week comes Saturday at the Mertz for the uh, volleyball match against Morris. Should be a good one. Yep. That's that. That's how I see it as well. That'll do it for this edition of the Eye of the Swarm. Elliot Swear, our engineer in the studio for Elliot. For Coach Paul Eberhardt, our guest, for the Big Sound, Matt Johnson, I'm John Garver. Thank you for listening to the Eye of the Swarm podcast.